Hi, I'm Jay John. Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is mother of two, Samara Levy, making a difference in Syria. Samara Levy, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you. It is a joy to have you. I'm going to go straight in with your book, Rebuilding the Ruins, Following God's Call to Serve Syria. And that's where we're going to start. Tell us, how did the story begin? I guess it began really in 2013, 2014, when I had very young children and I became aware of the challenges facing some of the Syrian families who had fled fighting in Syria. I became aware that there were children living in refugee camps in the snow, wearing flip-flops and summer clothes. And as a mother of young children, I started grappling with what that would actually look like for any human being. And I kept thinking about how I would cope if I was living in that situation. How would I manage? How would I deal with the fact that I didn't have something as simple as shoes to put on my children's feet? These children were wearing flip-flops. And I guess I was also grappling with the fact that as a Christian, Jesus's commands to us are just so simple. They're so black and white to love our neighbour as we love ourselves, to share with our neighbour. And I kept thinking about how much we have here in the West, here in the UK, the excess that we have of so much in the UK. And I kept thinking, surely, surely we should be able to share what we have here with some of these people who have absolutely nothing. So this was just, you heard it on the news and you just got this stirring in your heart. You're a mum, you've got two boys, young children, um, and, but you feel you have to do something. Well, how do you begin to do something? How did you do that? Well, I didn't really know either. And I guess I kept going back to God and saying, what should I do? How? How should I do this? I don't know. I don't know how to start. And I remember praying at first, thinking I've got this big pile of clothes that I've been saving, um, that my children have outgrown. I've been saving them for my sister because she she was due to have a baby. And I remember saying to God, how do I get these clothes to those people who need them? How, how do I do that? I really don't know. And a few days later, um, my mum showed me a blanket that she was knitting and she said she was sending it out for the Syrian refugee children. And I felt, this is an answer to prayer. Where do I send it? And I, I got the address and the name of the charity and it was a, a, a very small setup and they would only accept small parcels that weighed less than two kilos in case they were charged extra tax. Um, So I packaged up everything I could find. By the time I was packaging up the 13th or 14th parcel, I remember thinking, this is quite expensive and there must be a more cost-efficient and time-efficient way of doing this. And the idea of a lorry kept bouncing around in my mind and I went back to the charity and said, what if we sent a lorry? And they said, no, no, we, we couldn't deal with that. It's not possible. But the idea wouldn't go away and basically over the next year I felt God asked me three times to start collecting aid to send out and the real sort of catalyst I suppose the, the moment in which it, it changed from me feeling daunted by this possible idea of trying to fill an entire lorry of, of winter aid to thinking yeah I really have got to do this was the summer of 2014 when I saw 
hundreds of thousands of people fleeing ISIS in northern Iraq. And I remember thinking, well, that could be me. That could be my children. And that was the moment that we really got started. And um, I set out not really knowing what I was doing or how to go about it. But I felt that God had made me a promise that if I was willing simply to trust him and step out in faith and start collecting, that he would open all the right doors at all the right times and provide everything that was needed along the way. So you reached out um, initially to your son's uh, friends, parents at school and, and similarly said, look, have you got anything to give away? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think a lot of people had some level of awareness that there were these big problems in the Middle East. And most people, I guess, switch off from it because they think, well, what can I do anyway? And so when you offer an opportunity, a means for people to actually do something practical, um, I just felt that people were willing. They were so willing that the problem was that they didn't know what to do or how. Um, a little like myself when I started out, I didn't know what to do or how, but it started to become clear. And as I became more organised, as time went on, providing a, a sort of pathway um, that people could follow to, to give, to support, to collect, um, people really embraced it. And it just took off more than I could ever possibly have imagined. Now, you started with Iraq, but then you went to Syria. So why, why the switch to Syria? I guess Syria had always been the starting point in my heart for what I had seen and what I understood of the crisis. When I first started to look into it, I couldn't find a way into Syria. I couldn't find a partner in Syria and I couldn't find a way of getting the aid into Syria. But a partner materialised in northern Iraq and the company that I was working with had also partners that, that they'd been working with and they, they were used to doing that journey. So it was it seemed like the right place to be at that time. And we spent a year sending a lot of items to Iraq. But in my third appeal, which was the biggest one, the first appeal, we filled one lorry and had some left over. The second appeal, we filled two lorries and had about maybe a quarter of a lorry load left over. And then in the third appeal, it went absolutely crazy. It was the beginning of January. There had been these huge snowstorms in the Middle East. And I think the entire nation, not just the entire nation, the entire Western world looked on in horror at the fact that these people were living in camps in the snow and everyone wanted to do something, but no one knew what they could do to, to make a difference. So it went crazy. And that next third appeal, we filled seven lorries and a container of aid. And I realised very quickly that this one partner that we were dealing with in Iraq couldn't cope with the volume that we were sending. They then sort of passed it on to some of their other partners working in different areas and it worked out. But I think I realised also we, we need to go a little further afield. Syria had been on my heart throughout and I'd been trying to find a way into Syria. And then finally I was connected with someone who gave me a route into Syria, a safe and legal route. Um, where it is not uh, at risk of being overtaken by terrorist groups. Um, so that was really where it started. And over time, we developed such a strong partnership in Syria um, with someone who really shares our heart and our vision for this work. And we started to expand into medical work as well, setting up small field hospitals, providing help to people in the conflict. Um, now, how not, did you know about how to do that? Yes. Because um, that's another new area. Yes. And when I say 
providing help to people in the conflict. I don't mean, you know, they're, they're obviously not so, so serving um, military groups, but ordinary people get caught up in the of conflict course. too. And I used to be a nurse before I had children. I was an accident and emergency nurse. And after being connected with a doctor in Syria who was an emergency and intensive care doctor, I felt very humbled because I remember back to the days that I used to complain as a nurse about there not being enough staff and not being enough resources and not being enough beds. And I felt very, very humbled when I realised the conditions that they were working in. And my desire to support from the medical perspective was as much about wanting to support those doctors and nurses who were actually risking their lives to go to work on, on many occasions. And... I also obviously wanted to support the people who were being injured. You know, it just seemed like a, a natural progression, really. The team there were very experienced in setting up small field hospitals. They'd had to do it a number of times. And, um, you know, they're there for the short term. They're there when there is a need. Yes. Um, and then maybe events take place, which mean that um, you need to, to change the location or or start something somewhere else. And... During the course of the conflict, we provided four of these small field hospitals at different times in different places. And then we've sort of progressed into feeling that the Syrian people really need and deserve a more long-term option for healthcare because their medical infrastructure is in real ruins now. Yes, and we'll, we'll come on to that. Um, but when did you start going to Syria yourself? My first visit was in 2017, the spring of 2017. And was that prompted by, let me go and see where all of this, all these clothes are being distributed? What was the motive for going? I think that I had become so spiritually and emotionally involved with the journey of the Syrian people that I wanted to go and stand with them shoulder to shoulder and show them that there are people outside Syria who really love and care about them, who really want what's best for them. And I guess that really was what was at the root of of my desire. But I was also very conscious that Syria had the highest number of kidnappings and killings of humanitarian workers and medical workers in the world. And at the same time, I'm a mother of two young children. So there was a bit of a balancing act to do there. And I had spoken to a number of other people working for various charities here in the UK who all said, Samara, you don't need to go. People will understand why you don't. But I really felt that this was an idea that wouldn't go away. And I I got to the point, I suppose, after mulling it over for about a year of having a very frank conversation with God and saying, I really feel that I should go, but I don't want to go on a whim because clearly it's a very dangerous place and I shouldn't simply go on a whim. It needs to be God's will. You know, I'm willing to go there and die if that's what God wants, if that is his will, but I don't want to go there and die just from my own whim. <laughs> yes. So, um, I really, I, I prayed about it and I said, Lord, I'm willing to go, but I want you to tell me. I want you to show me. I'm not going to go until you tell me that I should go. And a little while later, I was sent some photographs from an orphanage in Syria. And I, as a mother, I suppose, or, or, or as any compassionate human being, I, I remember looking at these photos of these children 
I'm thinking, I, I felt emotional actually. I, I was I was feeling tearful. I was looking at these pictures. They, these children, they, they didn't look happy. Um, they were really struggling. They were a lot of children in a small room. And I just felt at that moment that God said, go. And having made the decision, I started to actually feel quite nervous and worried and apprehensive. Had, had I made the right decision? Was that actually God that told me to go? Or was it just some little voice in my head? Or, you know, I, I really, I started to grapple with that. And I started to feel fearful. I started to think about my children and what might happen to them if anything bad happened to me. And I remember going into church after I had started to worry about this. I remember going to church one Sunday and at the end of our service, when we have prayer ministry, going up for prayer, just thinking this was just weighing so heavily on my heart and mind, thinking, Lord, you know, is this is this really right? Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? And a lady came to pray for me and we'd never spoken before that I could remember. And I recognised her, but I, I, you know, I had my eyes closed at the time. I didn't know who had come to pray for me, but someone came to pray for me and she was just praying. And as she was praying, I hadn't said a word. I hadn't opened my mouth to say even one word about what I wanted prayer for. She just started to pray and she just said, I feel that God is saying to you, yes, it's a dangerous place, but I will protect you and I will protect the team. It's not safe, but I'm safe. And I just felt that in that moment with her knowing nothing about my dilemma, God had just very clearly spoken a, a very positive um, word into the situation. And at that moment, I just felt completely, all of my fears disappeared. And I never felt another even sniff of fear. That just, it was yes. just, I, was, I was confident after that, that I was in the right place, doing the right thing, and that that was exactly where God wanted me and to be. what an incredible word. Yeah, it isn't safe, but I am safe. That's right. And, um, and it, 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 that did feel like a divine commission yeah. to go. So what was your first experience like? What did you see? What did you feel? I guess there are different levels and different stages. I remember on my first full day there, um, going to visit an area where we had distributed some of our aid from containers previously. And I remember going to meet a widow um, who had fled from Aleppo when terrorists took the town, the the area that she was living in. Um, And she had fled with um, a number of children. Um, It was four or five children that she fled with. But what really, really struck me was that she had had to leave her daughter behind. Her daughter was a a teenage girl, um, a young teenage girl. And she showed me a photo of her daughter who was stunningly beautiful, a really, really beautiful young girl. And she said that the jihadists had taken her daughter and if she had half a chance of saving the rest of her children, she had to leave and she had to leave there and then. And when I looked at the photos of this beautiful girl, there was no question as to why they had taken her. And, you know, this mother would have been very aware of that. And I just, I just remember thinking, wow, what, what a decision for any mother to have to make to choose between saving all of their children and leaving one behind, you know, or, or, or trying to search for, for, for the other one and probably never being able to find her. That was the first family that I visited in Syria, yeah. and I'll, I'll always remember that. Um, you know, she was a really beautiful lady. Beautiful, she had this beautiful innocence about her. Um, and, you know, then there were other experiences as well. Um, 
walking through, driving through areas of Aleppo that had been just so horrendously damaged, like a ghost town, you know, these places, places that had once been so full of life, and yet now they're just dusty, dirty, fire damaged, broken, destroyed. And I think one of the things that really left an impression on me is that actually that is how damaged the buildings are but actually the humanity the humanity is far more damaged than that but you met your uh, the people who were your partners out there you were you were able to spend time with them yeah. and then begin and you didn't feel uh, oh i've done my bit you felt this is the beginning i still feel like this is the beginning we're just getting started there's so much work to do there's so much work to do and we have we have a really big vision for what we feel God wants us to do in Syria. So one part of that vision, to go back to your earlier comment about the hospital, what, tell us about that. Yeah, so we felt a number of years ago that God gave us a vision to actually re- rebuild a new hospital um, in Syria, one that will serve the people. There are hospitals in Syria, many have been destroyed, but there are still many hospitals that remain standing and that remain providing care for people. But they're public hospitals which are under-resourced. You know, after 10 years of conflict, there's a real lack of resources. A lot of companies in the world won't even supply medical equipment if it's destined for Syria. That's something that's very difficult for me to digest and accept when I see the level of suffering there. But, then there are private hospitals and they have to make a profit. And if they don't, then, you know, they they will turn patients away. If they cannot pay up front as they come through the door, they will turn them away. And this leaves a lot of people in the middle who simply are unable to access the medical care that they need and they will simply die. They had a very good developing healthcare system before the war. Um, The infrastructure was really improving and it was it was at a, a very good level compared with some developing countries and it's really been so badly destroyed over these years and we just feel that the commission from Jesus is very simple to to love our neighbor to care for the sick to feed the hungry to clothe the naked it's it's simple and that's just what we're trying to do so we have a vision for a hospital that will be able to provide a high level of care, a high level of care, um, but not just for the people who can afford it, but for the people who can't afford it as well, so that we will be able to create an environment where those who can afford to will help to pay for the care of those who can't afford to. So uh, a sort of not-for-profit, sustaining, self-sustaining hospital um, that we hope will work to international standards. But how, I mean, this is vast, you know, the the idea of building a brand new purpose-built hospital for a time such as this. Uh, I mean, the amount of work that will go into that and I mean, what will the cost be for that hospital? Well, there's already an enormous amount of work that's that's gone into it already over the years and we haven't even started building yet. Um, It's an enormous undertaking and it's a long-term vision it's not something that's going to happen overnight as for costs this is really hard actually to pinpoint because the economy changes so much in Syria from day to day from week to week month to month just in the last year the prices of, of food and ordinary items have 
they've quadrupled, they've gone up by five, six times the amount. The economic situation in Syria, it's been bad throughout the war, but the last year has been like a massive acute on chronic exacerbation of the economic crisis. And it's really hard to know. Maybe um, 18 months ago, we could have said that we could have built for maybe $170 per square meter, let's say for argument's sake. But now, um, you know, a few weeks ago, that would have maybe been raised by five or six times the amount. So there are lots of considerations. What we have done in the meantime, because we after a while, we recognised that this hospital was not going to be built anytime soon. It was going to take time to raise the funds, even just to finish the design, um, to have a design that we all feel is acceptable. Um, it, will, it will be years. Years. So where are you at the moment in that process? So we took some advice from a lovely man who has had a lot of experiences in building hospitals in countries around the world. And um, he's given us advice at various points in this process and he said look start with something smaller and on one hand it felt like a bit of a disappointment to do that but now where we are now we really see the wisdom in that what we decided to do was buy a building and 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 fit it out to the standard that we felt was was right so we bought a building that was 600 square meters um, which is not big by our standards here in the UK but it's actually bigger than some of the registered hospitals in that area Mm. and the building has had some bomb damage it had bits of roof missing bits of walls external walls missing it was it was in quite a state but it was a solid structure and it was somewhere to to get started so we've spent more than a year now fitting it out and it's almost ready to open and it looks stunningly beautiful it looks really gorgeous we all feel very excited about it every little detail has been planned and um researched to provide the best quality and the most efficient materials while spending as little money as possible um, so we're very proud of our resin floors and PVC wall panels and we're now just in the process of equipping that centre so that is where our fundraising is aimed right yes. now at, at, at equipping it and buying the equipment that we need and providing the electricity that we need. We've got uh, solar panels all over the roof to provide the electricity that we need. We need you know, some wind turbines as well because in the winter months the solar won't cover everything. So we, we've planned down to every last detail for it and this is the first step towards a bigger hospital. And, and how are you fundraising for that and all the other initiatives that you're doing? Well, we don't work with governments and government funding. That's always been something that's been very important to me. We are neutral and we don't support any government and we're not supported by any government. We rely on ordinary people and churches. These are the people who support us and that is how we've done everything so far and that's how I believe we'll continue to do it. I never say never, but um, that that's, that is our vision yes. for this work. And if anyone is quite watching now is stirred by what they're hearing and wants to know more wants to help wants to support uh, what's the best way of finding out more the website's a really good starting point we don't use social media anymore because we felt that it exposes too much of our work in what is potentially quite a hostile environment we need to protect our team that's our first and foremost priority so the website is is what we always point people towards You've got a new book coming out. What's the title and tell us what the book is about? 
So Up From The Ashes is the new latest book and in all honesty it's not my book. Yes I've I've written it, I've put it onto paper but actually this is the story of our doctor in Syria. He was born and brought up in Syria, he was raised in a poor family as a Christian um, with this dream of going to medical school and becoming a doctor and it could only ever be a dream for him unless he was the absolute number one top student in school and was able to win a scholarship to medical school and so he worked very hard and that's what he did. He became a doctor and he became a very successful doctor and when everyone else was queuing up to leave Syria in the worst years of the conflict he made a decision to stay and keep his family there. He had every opportunity to leave and yet he chose to stay and it's really been such a tough life for him and his family living in Syria over these years. So much has changed um, the social landscape inside Syria. It's a very, very difficult place to survive and live now. But he chose that because he felt that this was God's call on his life. And it's the most fascinating story. You get the culture of growing up in the Syrian community and the, the Syrian Christian community, um, as well as the um, just the fascinating story of him going to medical school and what it was like being a doctor in a place like Syria before the war. And then also his experiences of seeing his country descend into a war that no one could ever have imagined and how he kept his his humanity throughout that when many others lost it. It's a really fascinating story, but it's also a story of hope, looking to the future, our vision for of hope for the Syrian people. And again, the title is... Up From The Ashes. The when you thought about the title, how, how did that title come to you? One of his favourite songs is the song, I Raise a Hallelujah in the Presence of My Enemy. And it's been a bit of an anthem for us over the years, because when you work in a place like Syria, you will always be surrounded by enemies. And it's very difficult. And this is the song that we've sung over and over again. And in the chorus, Up From The Ashes, Hopeful Arise. Um, so this is, this is the foundation, really, of our story. Samara, honestly, um, you, you're, you're an inspiration and um, just great to hear how an ordinary mum <laughs> uh, gets stirred by the news and just goes and does what you can. And uh, it's remarkable what... God has been able to do through you so far and uh, how exciting a new hospital and other projects um, helping needy people yeah you are truly a good Samaritan well done and uh, we pray God's blessing upon you and um, all your friends and colleagues uh, who are endeavoring to do and serve the Lord in, in a place like Syria and may it be true um, in years to come um, that the seed that you sow will bear really good fruit. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope that you have enjoyed today's programme. I hope you've been inspired by Samara and her incredible story, story of faith, story of action. I know I'm stirred to think about how I can help others. I hope you are too. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. 
To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media.